this is Travis from Pbox. Welcome to this episode of our podcast discussing what it's like to balance having a family with the Ramscog training program. Joining us today is Dr. Kath Whitten, who's a Sydney-based fourth-year reg on the OMG training program, and someone who had twins just prior to starting internship, and another baby in her second year of OMG training. For myself, I'm a Sydney-based JMO this year, and I'm hoping to get on the OMG training program one day. I had my boy about six weeks before my final exams, which was a bit of fun. So yeah, welcome, Kath. Alright, thank you for having me. Yeah, I thought I think it's an important topic. I think we're all getting into medicine probably a little bit older now than what generations have done in the past. And I think a lot of us are coming into medicine with families or, you know, planning families in the next few years. I think it's a pretty important topic to have a chat about. So, we'll start from the start. What was your first thought when you found out you were having twins? Um, shock. We it's something that my husband and I had joked about as um, when I found out I was first pregnant because I was so sick initially. So we'd literally said, uh huh, must be too inside, but never really was serious or never really contemplated it. And then um, I, we attended my first ultrasound, which was the nuchal translucency scan. So it was probably about 12 weeks or so. And it's funny because both my husband and I had a background in radiology. We'd both worked in a radiology place. Um, and it was one of those ultrasound places where the cameras, the, the screens up on the wall. And so I was laying back chatting with the sonographer and he went, oh, crap. And I went, what, what? <laughs> and looked up at the screen and the sonographer said, so you see what I see? And he's like, oh, God, yep, there's two. <laughs> oh. It was... And Could you see it straight away as well? Yeah, oh. yeah. It was incredible. But just ridiculous. We giggled through the rest of the entire appointment it was just that nervous laughter laughter. absolutely and then you know all those things were going through my head new new car new house like the place that we were in it was a small house it couldn't have coped with two I'd already mentally planned the pram that I wanted so that had to change as well it was just everything sort of changed so how did that go from you know nervous laughter to the reality of I'm about to start internship and I've got twins on the way just you know planning mode took over I think we just knew that we just had to cope with it it's nothing that we could change um, and we just we just planned and planned and planned and obviously told our families straight away and they were all on board saying yep we'll help you through it and did you have family here in Sydney yeah yeah very lucky all right so what does your typical day look like um, I'm really lucky at the moment. My husband has stopped work this year. So essentially, for me, my day is getting myself up, getting myself ready and getting myself to work. Um, it depends which hospital you're at, but currently I'm at a hospital where the hours are sort of 7.30 to 4.30, which is really doable. I get to work at 7.30, go get through my day. Um, you know, there are days when you might not get out of work at 4.30, I might be there until 5, 5.30. Um, and then I come home and if I'm lucky enough that my kids are still awake, I'll help out with the evening routine. So they've usually always had dinner by the time I get home. Um, but then I'll sort of take over and do the baths, the, the bed routine, reading a story, helping the older two with homework if they need it, that sort of stuff. 
I often call it my second job, so I come home after working a full day and then come home to my second job, which is looking after the kids, and they're often at their worst in that period. You know, a lot of parents will call it the witching hour, those hours in the evening, and it's true. It's Kids are tired, they're cranky, um, I'm tired and sometimes cranky as well, so um, yeah, it's, it's not the funnest time, but they're generally all in bed by about 7 o'clock um, and generally asleep by about 7.30. So then it's sort of my time, I'll have dinner, have a quick chat to my husband and, you know, then in bed pretty early because it all needs to just be repeated the next day. So days are 7.30 to 4.35, like you said. Uh, that at least doesn't sound too bad, but I'm guessing you've got quite a few nights thrown in there as well. So again, it depends on which hospital you're at. Um, the current place that I'm at and the tertiary centre that I work at, um, there's about six or seven registrars where um, the night shifts and the weekends are, are, are divided between. So essentially you might work a set of seven nights every six weeks or seven weeks and then a double weekend every six weeks or seven weeks as well. Remembering when you're doing nights, you're covering a weekend as well. So essentially you'll be doing a weekend every three weeks or so. And added into those are the evening um, overtime shifts as well. So maybe once a week you'll have to do an evening shift. So till 8pm or in another place that I work, it's till 10pm. So it's, you know, it's long hours. That's up. Yeah. yeah, sure. And those are obviously just your work hours or your time you're doing your main job but I'm guessing you have to fit study and other things in there as well. Mm. Yeah and that's one of the really really challenging areas I think there's always more that I can do there's always new research that's coming out new you know journal articles that I could be reading but the reality is when I get home from work and after everyone's in bed my downtime's just for relaxing and the last thing I want to be doing is picking up the books. I, um, I recently passed the OSCE, so that's the second exam and final exam for the training program, which is super exciting, but that was a massive sacrifice. That involved coming home from work and, yeah, studying through my notes, um, meeting up with my study group once a week. As the exam got closer as well, there were um, practice OSCEs at different hospitals around Sydney, so there was travelling you know, after hours to, to those hospitals and sitting through those practice exams. There were interstate ones as well that I was attending. Um, so it was it was really exhausting. I, as I say, I was lucky enough to pass, but there was always that, I was always sort of riddled with that guilt of not seeing my kids and not spending enough time with them. And then the fear of actually not passing and having to go through it all again was, was terrifying because it was not just you know a massive challenge on me it was it was really hard on my family as well so it's it's hard it's something that's a huge challenge through training is is having to study and read and keep up to date on things so obviously just based on what you're saying time and balance are pretty big issues but i guess at least they're foreseeable and you said you and your husband already started planning even when you're pregnant with the twins uh, what I'm wondering, are there any other challenges that you didn't foresee you were potentially blindsided by? Definitely. Um, I, I think I was definitely blindsided by the amount of time that I wanted to spend with my kids and, and the, the crazy, all-encompassing love that I had for them. You know, I'd drop them off at childcare or, or the nanny would turn up in those early days. And I, you know, the whole day I would just have this pit in my stomach of, of just wanting to, to go back home and look after them and be with them. 
that definitely blindsided me. I always just thought, you know, I'll have my kids, I'll go to work, it'll be fine, I'll come home from work, you know, and, and the date and we'll just pick up on everything. But I found myself, particularly in those first couple of years, just constantly thinking about my kids. In any break, I'd look at photos on my phone of my little ones. Um, yeah, I didn't expect that. And I still get that. I still get that pit in my stomach, you know, when I'm at work, because I, I just miss them so much. And every day, you know, when I drive home to, from work, I'm sort of racing through the traffic because I want to get home and see them before they go to bed. So yeah, that was, that was something that I was blindsided by. Um, I think, you know, other things are those calls that you typically get at 4.30pm as you're getting ready to go home from work. Um, the family that want to chat to a doctor or, or that person who spiked their blood pressure or they're suddenly septic. And you can't just leave. You can't just leave them. So I often find myself resenting those patients and those families, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're there to take care of, of, of those patients. So that's something that I found pretty difficult as well. Yeah, All right, so, Kath, if you could tell us, when you first started out your internship and you had your twins... That was obviously a very difficult year. What help did you have in place for yourself and for your family at that stage? Um, so we first trialled childcare. I, um, we had them in there five days a week, the, the twins that is. Um, and it just, it didn't work. Um, I've got a little boy who's very, very needy and was grumpy. So I'd turn up to pick him up from childcare and he hadn't eaten, he hadn't slept all day. so. We pulled them out of that and um, we hired a nanny and so we had a nanny for five days a week. That was a massive financial sacrifice. In fact, she earned more than I earned as an intern. It was horrible, but it made us, it made things work easier and we were a lot more happy with her. Um, you know, I was also really lucky to have family around. So um, my husband's family are great. They've retired and they help us a lot and my, my mum's around as well. Um, and I think that's really important. I, I've got friends who ha are from overseas and their families aren't around and I, I don't know how they cope. It's really difficult. I think once you have kids, you realise how much you need your family. Definitely. <laughs> my parents retired when I was 19 and moved up to Cox and basically said, oh. you can come with us or you can move out. Um, so that's the position we're in now where we don't have family or anything around mm. and a lot of the stuff you're saying I'm just, you can't see because of the podcast we're sitting here just nodding, <laughs> nodding so definitely hear where you're coming from it's hard um, I think you know you you think you might have a good network of friends around you as well but often your friends are in the same situation that you're in they've got young families they're working they're facing those same struggles so yeah it's that unconditional love and support that your parents provide that it's really hard to get from anywhere else and it goes the other way as well if you're friends don't have kids they don't get it like yeah. it's just you know, I mean I my kids are a little bit younger and none of my friends have kids and they just don't understand they're like oh we're going out tonight why don't you just get a babysitter you really just don't get no. the whole situation <laughs> yeah. um, anyway so you're in your internship here you've got your twins and you're staring down the barrel of OMG training um, with two one-year-olds at home Obviously, you know what that road's going to be like. What crosses your mind at that stage? Yeah, I uh, I did a, my first ONG term as a resident and loved it and definitely thought that I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go down that path. Um, 
but I could see the life of the registrars and even of the consultants as well and could see that it wouldn't have been an easy path. So I tried very hard not to like ONG so much. I, um, I also, as a resident, I did a PG triple P term. I don't think they even have those anymore, but essentially it's just a term that you do in a GP practice as a resident under supervision. And I applied for GP training, got in, but when I was doing that term, really realised that no, it's not what I wanted to do. Um, so then I did a, an ONG SRMO year, which again, I loved, um, but the hours were quite long and crazy and it really gave me a great taste of, of what life was going to be like as a registrar. So it was difficult, but I mean, at the end of the day, I just realised that that's what I wanted to do and really there was no other option. Um, I felt like for my sanity and for my sort of job satisfaction and career satisfaction, I just needed to do ONG. Whether it would work or not, I just thought, whatever, I'll, I'll make it work. I'll try and make it work. Yeah, and I have, I guess. Cool. Uh, you said you had a taste of things with the SRMO year and the hours are similar-ish to being a reg, but obviously it's a big jump um, to being a reg. When you got on, did that make you nervous at all? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think because I can see the toll that it, that it's taken on my family, you know, not just on um, my husband, but also on the kids. You know, I'm not, I'm not present as much as I would like to be. Um, and in the, particularly in the early days, you know, it was, it was quite chaotic. My husband working full-time, me working full-time, the kids at school, childcare, nanny, you know, we sort of juggled things for a long time that way. Um, so yeah, I was really nervous and, and just wondered how we would sustain it all. Um, but you know, we've, we've struggled through and we've managed to, to do that. Um, I think it's not just the hours though, you know, as a, as a registrar there's a lot of extra things. We've talked about the exams that, are, that we do during the training, there's a, a research project that we have to do as well. You're also trying to learn a lot of new procedures and operations and become independent at managing various presentations. And you know, on nights and after hours, you're it. You know, you've always got a consultant there, but you're it. So there's a large amount of responsibility as well, stepping up into a registrar role. So yeah, you could definitely say I was a, a little nervous coming into that reg role. So there's never going to be a perfect time to have kids. Um, and that certainly does sound less than ideal. Um, but looking at the whole sort of stretch from medical student, intern, junior to reg, when would you say, if there is one, would be a good time to have kids? Mm. It's a really hard question. I think as a medical student as well, I was looking for the holy grail. I always thought that there had to be the right answer, the right formula that worked, but I really don't think there is. I think that it's different for everybody and there's really not a right time. I've seen it done at all stages of um, training. Personally, um, for me, you know, I had twins prior to starting ONG training and I've got a little one now that I've had um, during ONG training. I think the disadvantages of doing it this way are that I'm less flexible than my colleagues that don't have kids. I can't move around to different hospitals. I can't move rurally you know we are required to do a six month rural rotation I'm lucky in the network that I'm in in that um, my one of my rural hospitals is only 40 minutes outside of Sydney so I don't have to relocate the family to go there I can commute from home um, 
so yeah I, f I feel like I'm a lot less flexible in saying that though there are other registrars that have had families that have moved them up to say Port Macquarie or Coffs Harbour um, just for the six months and changed schools and attended schools up there so it is doable but I guess it's just an individual decision you know is it going to work for your family um, I think look another disadvantage is is what we've talked about having to study and work full-time and look after a family I think is very very difficult the way I did it for my written exam is I studied for my written exam whilst I was on maternity leave I honestly couldn't fathom studying and working full-time and you know it did mean that I spent my my nine months of maternity leave not only looking after a newborn and my twins but also studying so that that was really hard but I think it was a better solution as to working and studying at the same time so you said how difficult it would be to um sort of try and balance everything at once and luckily I understand you were able to take a bit of leave when you had your third baby. Um, what was the setup like for taking maternity leave um, in your second year of ONG training? So I was really honest with my training supervisor. I let him know really early on that I was pregnant. Um, this enabled him essentially to, to sort out a replacement for me because you have to remember from a logistical point of view the hospital has to provide a certain number of registrars to um, you know through a certain number of hospitals just to provide this the service so he needed to just organize a replacement for me so I was upfront and honest with him so that he could have time to find a replacement um, from uh, a maternity leave point of view that was easy enough to access I just was in contact with my JMO office at the tertiary hospital I was working at and just applied for maternity leave um, that was good it, it gives you access to four it, and in New South Wales Health you get access to 14 weeks of full-time pay or you can choose to have 28 weeks at 50% pay so that's a really good a good situation um, as for Rance Cog um, I just had to get in contact with the college itself and apply for extended leave so any time that you're away from the program for six months or more you have to apply for extended leave and essentially that's just a form that you fill out, you have to give a reason for it, and then you have to make up that extra time, obviously, on the end of your training. Um, so obviously the systems are in place to allow that to happen, but did you ever perceive any sort of uh, like pushback from uh, wherever about you taking the time off, whether it be from you know, people you worked with, your supervisor, or even Rance Club, really? Mm. Not really. I guess I'm pretty lucky. I've got a good relationship with my training supervisor and the people that I work with. Um, I think there are concerns that I've heard mentioned, um, you know, and, and said to me as well, mostly just in sort of conversation and just colloquially, nothing formal. But it's mostly concerns about having a baby during training and then your training time being interrupted and taking extended time away from that. So with my personal situation, you know, I had I'd completed my first year of training. I then took nine months off and got back into second year. And <clears throat> I think the concern was more about everything that I'd learned and that all that knowledge and skills that I'd built up in my first year, that that might be lost and that I'd be sort of starting again when I was in second year. To be honest, this wasn't, this wasn't the case. I think, you know, even as an intern, when you take your four weeks of annual leave and you start again after your four weeks of annual leave, you think, oh God, I've forgotten everything, I can't cannulate, I don't remember how to chart fluids. But when you come back, it's all just like riding a bike, it just comes back naturally. And I did find that after 
after coming back from maternity leave. It was it was fine. And even, you know, during mat leave, I, I've said that I was studying for my written exam. I um, was doing surgical assisting as well. I did a couple of locums. So it wasn't like I was completely away from it. I was still doing stuff during that time. Right, so um, doing training part-time is something that I've heard about a few times, but I can't actually say I've ever met anyone who's done it or is doing it. Was that something that was actually an option for you or is this idea of part-time training more of just like an urban myth that gets passed around? Um, not really an option for me. As I've said, I'm pretty lucky in that my husband's at home so I am able to work full-time. Um, I've seen it done. I've worked in one of the peripheral hospitals where um, a couple of the ONG residents um, that I was working with were job sharing and that worked well and I think that that was a, a good um, situation that the JMO office at that hospital had set up for them. This is a, a, a hospital where the JMO office are really supportive of part-time trainees. Um, as a registrar you don't see it so much um, and I'm not too familiar with it. I do know some people that have done it and it's worked well for them. But essentially what you need is two people within the same training network that are willing to job share and a training supervisor that approves it obviously. So I think even if two people aren't in the same training network but somebody does want to work part-time, it's not a massive deal to change training networks if it's going to work for two trainees. This is obviously just anecdotal sort of um, data. I don't I haven't done it myself, but I've heard that that's the way that it can be done. And what about even having a whole year off during your training? Is that realistic or, again, just wishful thinking? No, I think it's definitely realistic. I think, um, you know, we all come into medicine from different backgrounds and having had different life experiences. And even if it, you know, if, if it's not just on maternity leave to have a child, there's different reasons why people might want to take a year off. I know people have taken a year off to go and volunteer overseas, for instance. Um, you know, people might have a sick family member that they need to take some time off to care for. I think there are various reasons, and from my experience, the college has been pretty understanding. Um, and as I've mentioned as well, I'm lucky to have a pretty supportive training supervisor, so I think it's just a matter of being honest with your training supervisor and, and trying to figure out something that works for you and for the hospital. So, given that most people listening to this podcast are going to be uh, junior doctors or students wanting to pursue ONG themselves, let's imagine a perfect storm scenario. So, you've just been offered an amazing SRMO job in your dream network, and the next day you learn that you're not having twins but triplets, so not too far removed from your own story. Uh, what do you do? Uh, what helps out there? When can you expect, basically, your heart rate to return to normal? Never. Your heart rate's never going to return to normal. Having triplets, that's crazy. Um, I guess honesty is the best policy here. Yeah, this isn't actually um, too far away from my own situation. I was allocated to my dream network for internship. Um, I got my first choice, which was really good. And not long before this had I found out that I was having twins. So what I did was I contacted the JMO office at the, um, at the hospital and set up a meeting with them and the DPET, so the Depart the Director of Pre-Vocational Education and Training, they're the people that look after all the JMOs essentially at the hospital. What I did was I accepted my position of internship, 
um, but told them that I wanted six months off and that I'd start internship six months into that year. As it happened, when the six months came around, I wasn't ready to leave my twin, so I was able to extend that further and took the first year off. So I think in the situation that you've given, you've got two choices, either accept the position, work until you need to take the maternity leave, or you can decline the position and apply again the following year. Um, I think for junior medical um, officer positions, internships, residency, senior residency, your point of contact will always be your JMO manager and that DPET at the hospital. Um, but as a registrar, it's going to be your training supervisor in the Rands Club office. So along those same lines of sort of accessing support and reaching out when you do need help, um, another thing you alluded to when we first spoke about this podcast was how important it is to actually have good mentors in your career. Can you explain basically how having a young family relates to the idea of having mentors in your early career? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it's something that I struggled with in the early days. You know, when I was an intern and a resident, I didn't really um, have anyone that I was going through those years with that had families as well, so I found it difficult. I think having a family and working full-time is in, in any role, but particularly in the hospital system, has a lot of unique challenges and can be really, really difficult. And, you know, in your junior medical years, there's a lot of socialising that happens, there's balls and, you know, after hours drinks and get-togethers and things, and I wasn't able to attend those and, and frankly, didn't want to because I wanted to be at home with my family. Um, <clears throat> so I found it quite difficult to, um, I guess, relate to some of the other um, junior doctors that I was working with you know, because I had unique challenges. Um, as I went through, um, you know, as an SRMO and then in my first couple of years as a registrar, I slowly got to meet other doctors that had families and that were in a similar situation to me. And a couple of the other registrars that I work with now have got young kids and, you know, we're friends outside of work as well. Um, but I think it's really important to be able to talk to other people that are going through the same thing as you and not just sort of struggling along alone, which I felt like I did do in the early years. And it was quite lonely. And so I'd hate, I think, for other people to, to struggle that way as well and potentially to, to not um, pursue their interest or their passion for something like ONG, which is not the easiest path to go through, but to not pursue that because of these unique challenges. because. There's people out there that have that have done it, and it's doable. Okay, uh, Kath, I hope you don't mind me asking you a pretty personal question, but I think for the people listening, they could potentially get a lot out of it. And that would be, what would you say your lowest point throughout the whole experience has been? Um, and you know, I am mindful that is a very personal question, so I figured I'd offer my experience first. So for me, my boy was born about six weeks out from final exams and like you said there's no perfect time to have a kid but for me that definitely felt less than ideal you know I'd be not sleeping at night and then waking up each day and heading into the library studying you know sort of all day from eight till four coming home and like you said as well doing the, the second job and that's you know the parenting and then again, not sleeping at night. You know, just sort of run through that whole cycle every 24 hours. Uh, the funny thing for me is I actually felt like I was doing really well. Um, you 
I guess maybe it was the adrenaline of the whole thing or the anxiety of upcoming exams, but I did sort of feel on top of it. Uh, but I think that all came to an end when I was in the kitchen one night with my wife and she just sort of said, I guess maybe she'd noticed something that I hadn't. She asked, you know, are you okay? And not that sort of like, oh, how are you going type, but, you know, when someone really actually asks you, are you okay? And it makes you think, you know, am I okay? Or, you know, what is this person thinking that I'm not? And what are they seeing that I haven't? And I think then I realised just the full extent of how exhausted I was and how little I was actually coping with that thing. Um, and within, you know, a minute, so I was on the ground in tears, uh, basically falling apart with the lander's arm, my wife arms around me uh, so for me that was definitely a low point um, but I did get a lot out of it I think from that I learned that I really do need to you know establish boundaries for myself and then following on from that actually respecting those boundaries and you know no matter what's coming up just being mindful of how much I've got on my plate and time management and not over committing myself um, so I guess at the end of the day there was something to be gained out of it yeah many low points um your situation is so so familiar i think um i still sometimes when people ask me are you okay i break down <laughs> it still happens it's the worst possible question a person can ask you <laughs> makes me cry almost every time um but yeah and like you've said asking for help is the biggest thing i mean i said we've had i've had many low low points i think the most recent one is the the um, point leading up to my husband stopping work we were battling with um, you know when I went back to work after number three was born he was working full-time I was working full-time the twins were in I think year one of school my little girl was in childcare for a couple of days uh, we had a nanny a couple of days as well so she was with the little one but then she would also do after school pickups and the evening routine and it was it was every day was something different it was quite chaotic we were angry we were tired the kids picked up on that they were angry they were tired we weren't getting schoolwork done any homework done with the, with the big ones the little one was getting sick because she was at childcare it was just chaos it was it was awful and yeah we got to the point where we were just all run ragged and just realized that something had to give <clears throat> so we made the decision that my husband would stop work. It's obviously a huge financial um, sacrifice for us, but I guess we've just realised that um, in the long run, whilst the kids are young, they don't care about money, they don't care about this sort of stuff, they just care about their parents being there with them and, and you know, feeling secure. So um, that's, that's what led to that um, decision. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really tough time. But as you say, we've come out of it, we've learned a lot from it. Um, and something I've really learned as well is just to ask for help. I think I've always been pretty bad at asking for help, but having had a family now, I realise, you know, there's that old saying that um, raising a child takes, it takes a village to raise a child, and that's so true. You need people around you and you need, you need help, really. Yeah, I do. Mm. All right, Kath, I think... We need to finish the podcast on a positive. Um, what do you think the best thing is about having a young family at this stage in your career? Or if you could throw yourself back to the start of your career when you have the twins and, you know, are you, are you living the positives now? 
Um, yes, because <laughs> I feel like I'm coming out the other end now. <laughs> I'm in the fortunate situation where the exams are done. I'm sort of just completing my time now. It's been really hard, but it's doable, as I've said. You know, I've done it. And I'm nothing special, but and we've struggled through, and it's doable. There's been hard times, but there's been great times. I think um, the positives of having a family through training, as I've said, I had access to maternity leave. That was great. You know, if you if you have your family after training, and you work privately for instance if you're not working you're not getting patients you're not having an income so that's one big benefit um, my through my training you know my kids have been younger so that they're not going to remember the struggles that I had with all the studying and you know all the stress that I had they won't remember it so um, they're going to be older and hopefully we can all reap the benefits together and that my life eventually might be a bit more flexible and I might have a bit more control over my hours hopefully um, I think having a, having kids and having a family through training as well helps me relate to my patients a little bit more I I really relate to that frazzled mum that comes into antenatal clinic with her toddlers in tow and her yellow card that's been eaten by one of the toddlers and dropped in the toilet you know I've been there <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think to, to end on a positive, it's definitely doable. I think if your passion lies in ONG, don't like don't let that pass. I think um, I came close to not doing it, and I think I would be living a life of regret if I didn't do it. And you know what? You can try, and if it doesn't work for you, stop. You can always move on to something else. I think we just we just need to at least try and and. Hopefully it works out. Yeah, great. Kath, thanks so much for coming in, um, sharing your story. There's so much advice throughout that whole conversation we had. I feel like I need to go back. When the podcast is up, I'll listen to it myself oh. and re replay a lot of it in my mind, and I'm sure I'll think of more questions that I wanted to ask at the time. But um, basically, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. I'm sure everyone listening will get a lot out of it. It's no great. worries. Thank you for having me. Thanks to everyone who's taking the time to listen through this podcast as well. I've really enjoyed putting it together and I hope that you got something out of it as well. If you want to hear more of what Kath has to say or you have any burning questions you want to ask her, Kath will actually be speaking at our upcoming conference next year in Sydney. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Also, Kath has very graciously agreed to give out her email. The main point of that would be is if you feel as though you're going through a similar thing or you're struggling or you just need advice, she's happy to be contacted. So her email address is atkins.cath at gmail.com. That's A-T-K-I-N-S dot K-A-T-H at gmail.com. Thanks again.